Leviticus 14. We've seen throughout the book of Leviticus, the whole theme of Leviticus is holiness. What is holiness? It's being set apart from and being set apart for. We are set apart from the things of this world so that we can be set apart for the work of God and the moving of God in our lives, the joy and privilege of being able to be used by God. We're only going to be able to be used by God as a son if we are set apart for him. Now, every single person in all of history will be used by God. This is, this is just free information. wasn't planning on sharing this, right? You either get to choose if you're going to be used like a son or daughter, helping a dad or mom with a project, or you get to choose if you want to be used as a tool, like Pharaoh was. Because Pharaoh was used by God in a mighty way, but Pharaoh was unwilling to humble himself to be used by God. So God's going to use him anyway, but as a tool. So that's, again, just a mindset for us to have. We can come along. We can humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, use me. I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to die to this life. And, Lord, whatever you have for me, God, I'm willing to take it. But if not, God's going to use us either way. Again, it's instead of being set apart for the work of the enemy, being set apart for our sins for so many years, we get the joy and privilege of being able to be set apart for the work of God. Here in Leviticus chapter 14, we'll read verse 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then it's going to give us a list on how this looks like and how this works like. Again, we're being given here a ceremony and a ritual that a priest was supposed to do if someone was healed from leprosy. question for us is, have we ever seen someone up until now within the book of Leviticus healed from leprosy? No, we haven't, right? We've seen Moses. God sort of freaks him out. Sort of love that story. God tells Moses, hey, put your hand inside your tunic. He puts his hand in his tunic, and he pulls it out, and it's covered with leprosy. He says that he, like, freaks out. He's trying to run away from his own hand, right? Then God tells him, okay, put it back in your tunic. He puts it back in the tunic. It comes out and it's healed. We know his sister was causing drama and she got struck with leprosy for a little bit, but it was only for a moment and it was taken away from her. But again, within Leviticus, have we even been told it's a remote possibility for someone to be healed from leprosy? No, we, we haven't been shown that. We've just been shown how to figure it out, how to find it. So God here is giving Moses the details to a giant ceremony of what to do if an incurable disease gets cured. Just so we're on the same page here. God is giving Moses this huge ceremony, right? Imagine if it was impossible to get married. And here God gives Moses, how do you do a wedding ceremony? And he goes from the beginning to the end. This is how you hold this huge ceremony but I, there's no way to be healed of this. And if you remember, leprosy is a type for sin. It's a picture of sin. And there is no way for mankind to be cleansed of their sins. Or rather, there's one way, right? You guys know that way. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He's the only way that we can be cleansed of our sins. We looked at that when we were talking about the altar and the sacrifices, how all of mankind is trying to cover their sins by other means. 
But there's only one way to truly have our sins not only covered, but purged and cleansed and taken away, separated from us as far as the east is from the west. A couple of scriptures here, Isaiah 1 verse 18. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Again, that's God's desire for each and every one of us. That's God's desire for every sinner is to wash them and purge them of their sins. To take this red disgustingness that's covered us and make us white as snow. In 1 John 7, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through verse 9, we could turn there real quick. Another New Testament demonstration of how God is willing to cleanse us. We finished up the last chapter with this same scripture. And this season seems like we're closing up every book, every teaching with this scripture. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. It tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, notice how God's word is using the same exact word here, cleansed. If a leper is ever cleansed, this is what you do. What do we need to have a friendship and relationship with God? Our sins need to be cleansed from us. We need to be cleansed. If not, we can have no relationship. We can have no friendship with God. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1, right, before we dive into what this ceremony looks like. From what we find in Scripture, there is a handful of people that have actually gone through this ceremony. Mark chapter 1, and all the men that go through this ceremony are all alive during the time of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 1, we'll read a portion of scripture there. I'm going to read to you a scripture before we turn there, but Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 4 verse 27, and in Luke 4 verse 27 it says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So here we have almost two, three thousand years of history, and only one person has ever been cleansed of this disease. Now leading up until Jesus, his ministry, now there's a group of ten guys that get healed, right? Sort of that scripture we always use for thankfulness, that scripture that we as parents always tell our kids, right? Be the one leper. Come back and say thank you for being cleansed, right? Come back and say thank you for what God has done for you. But here in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it tells us, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed, and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Again, the high priest should have had his mind blown away when he had lepers coming to him being cleansed. Because they had never done it. 
The high priest before them had never done it. The high priest before them had never done it. So they're almost having to pull out the book of Leviticus and saying, how in the world do we do this? I've never done a ceremony like this. Have you ever done a ceremony? Have you ever heard? No, and they're having to pull out the book and say, okay, how do we do this? And again, a couple things to keep in mind before we go through the actual ceremony. Leprosy has cost this man everything. It's cost them everything. Remember, he had to leave his own home. He had to go out of the city, go out of his home, go out of the city walls, and now live in a leper colony with a bunch of other lepers. He had to leave his family. Never got to see the bar mitzvah of his son. Never got to see his kids married. Never got to bury his parents because of his leprosy. Had to give up on all of his life. His identity became leprosy. Anytime he would have to go into the city to get something, anytime a normal person would walk around him, what would he have to yell at a distance? Unclean, unclean, I'm a leper. Imagine what this man has been through for years, the pain, the agony, both physically, right? Many of them losing fingers and hands, many of them losing their noses, their ears, their toes, their feet. And it's simply a picture of sin. It's simply a picture of sin for each and every one of us. Hopefully we were once there. We remember the cost of sin in our lives. How it separated us from our family. It separated us from people that we loved. It made us miss out on big family events. It made us miss out on things that we cared about, that we loved. But our sin caused us to be separated from the things that we loved. It cost us everything. For some of us, our sin became our identity. Have you noticed that? The sins of our world, it becomes a person's identity. It's the first thing in their bio. Hey, this is the sinner that I am. And then have you noticed people who are sinners, when they're in their sin, they begin to proselytize other people in their sin. My sin's amazing. Why don't you join in with me? Why don't you do this? Their sin becomes their religion. Man, you should drink just like I drink. You should smoke marijuana. It's going to help you. It's going to calm down. It's going to take care of everything. You should explore your sexuality. Maybe you were born this way. And they begin to not only have this sin eat away at their lives, cost away things from them, but again, it becomes their very own identity. It's cost them everything. And sin in the same way will cost us everything. Hopefully we don't run to leprosy. Hopefully none of us run to sin because it will cost you everything. Again, we lose our senses. They lost their nerves. It was an inward problem. Their nerves got damaged. That's why they wouldn't feel if their toes got stubbed, their toes got broken, rats nibbling at their ears or their noses. They couldn't feel any of this. Cooking with fire, they wouldn't feel themselves being burned. They lose their senses. They lose their loved ones. They lose out on their homes. And it never stops eating away at us. Sin will never stop till its desire is accomplished. And sin's desire, we read in James 1 last week, right? Sin's desire is death. And it's not going to stop until that's accomplished. So if we're playing with sin, if we're playing with leaven, if we're playing with leprosy, whatever amount of sin we're playing with that we think we can handle, right? It's just a little baby cute sin, right? right? Some people think, oh, I would love a baby alligator, right? It'd be so cute to have a pet alligator, right? What's the problem with the pet alligator? It becomes a big alligator, right? Maybe during uh, COVID you got into all those weird tiger and lion shows, right? What's the problem with a cute baby lion? It's going to grow up into a thousand pound lion, right? And then what do you do with it? 
It's the same thing with our sins. We think we can handle it. We'll take care of it. It's only when I hit a certain stress level. It's only when it's once a month. It's only with certain people. But it continues to eat away at us. And finally, it will become your identity. Instead of being freed from these things, it shackles us. It puts us into slavery. And now we are beginning to tell others, unclean, unclean, I'm a leper. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a homosexual. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a that. That it becomes our very own identity. And we see all that we need, all that this man needed was to come to Christ in humility and ask the Lord, Lord, if you are willing, you can do it. And it's the same thing with salvation, right? This is tough. I think for maybe some Calvinist brothers or different ways like this, right? All this man came to Christ and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can do it. If you're willing, you can do it. And we know that God, he desires that no man would perish. It takes humility. But many people don't want to come in their humility to the Lord and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Would you save me? Many of us don't want to come there. Many of us were stuck in a rut because of our pride. We don't want to share with anyone. We don't want to talk to anyone. And we're trying to handle it on our own. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he simply just asks the Lord, Lord, are you willing? I know you can do it. We need to have that humility and have that faith to come to the Lord and say, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can do it. I know you can cleanse me of these sins. And we're told immediately he was cleansed. Right? Imagine his nose growing back. His hands growing back, his fingertips, his feet. He's feeling his toes once again. He forgot what toes felt like, right? I hope you never have to go through that. His body's all healed in a moment, in an instant. And for many of us, when we come to the Lord, it's an instant healing for many sins. Some of us, we came to the Lord and we stopped cussing. Some of us, we came to the Lord, we stopped drinking right away. Sometimes we came to the Lord and he took away old lifestyles, old sexual desires. And that's some of the work that the Lord does. The other work is the sanctification process, day in and day out, reminding ourselves in humility and in faith, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. Lord, if you're willing, you can continue to take this from me. So now we go to, back to Leviticus chapter 14. We go to verse 3 here, right? Now you got to imagine, Caiaphas going through this whole ceremony. This man came to him. We read the last chapter. This man probably had been there at the temple Maybe five years ago, maybe two years ago, maybe ten years ago. And he said, yeah, man, I'm sorry. It's concave with a white hair and a red dot. Yeah, you got leprosy, right? Maybe it was on his head. They shaved the whole head except the one spot. Then they saw it keep growing. And they said, sorry, man, you got leprosy. Whatever the case may be. So now they're seeing the same guy except he's completely healed. He's completely whole. And now verse 3, we begin going through the ceremony. It says, the priest shall go outside of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Again, I believe this is interesting because the very first thing is the priest needs to go out of the camp. If we have... If we have family members that we love dearly and our relationship with them has been broken because of their sin, it may not be wisest to bring them into your home to see what sort of state are they in. Are they truly healed or not? Right? It's a difficulty as a church. There's been a few times where we have to have church discipline and that's because of the sin in someone's life that they don't want to check out. And oftentimes we'll meet with them but not during a service, not during what's going on to see, Lord, is this real or is this not real? 
And then what does the priest do once they've gone outside of the camp, outside of the walls? They begin to examine the man. They begin looking at his arms, looking at his head, looking through. Is this really healed? And we're called to do the same, right? Every believer and non-believer, what's the verse they have memorized, right? Judge not lest you be judged, right? Every single unbeliever, they know that verse down pat, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Yeah, we're not supposed to judge, but here it says examine. Examine. Look at the person's life. Have they truly been healed? Have they been cleansed of it? That's all the priest is doing. They are examining this man according to the word of God. And that's what we should do. Someone says they're cleansed. Someone says they're healed. Someone says, never again. I'm not going to do this. We should take God's word and we should see, okay, is there fruit worthy of repentance? What does fruit worthy of repentance look like? We read Psalm 51. We read through scripture and we examine that person through scripture. We are called to do that. First examining ourselves and then examining our brothers and sisters. So here we see this list for this party, right? For this celebration, if you would. Kind of seems a little weird, right? Two sparrows, two clean birds, a piece of cedar wood, right? We're not going to cook the birds or any salmon on it, but a piece of cedar wood, right? A piece of scarlet and hyssop. And the very first thing the priest is going to do is kill one of the birds inside of an earthen vessel. Inside of a clay pot, inside of a vessel, a cup, a pot, a bowl that's made out of clay or rock or earthen vessel. So many things we're going to be gathering from here, right? We know that when Jesus Christ came and he was a baby, he was laid in a manger. That manger wasn't made out of wood. That manger wasn't geometrically cute and beautiful, right? If you go to Israel, it's literally a rectangular piece of rock and they like carved out an oval in it. And that's what our Lord and Savior was laid in, an earthen vessel. That's what he came into this world, not into a throne, not into a beautiful nursery, outdoors in somebody else's stable, being fed in the trough of the cows and of the horses, right? That's where our Lord is laid. And now there's two birds, right? One is killed with running water, and then the other one is still alive. And we're going to see what happens in a moment to that other bird. That other bird is going to be dipped in verse 6. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop. He's going to dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy. He shall pronounce him clean, and they shall let the living bird loose in the open field. So we see two birds here, right? One bird is killed. And the other bird is alive. Why did that second bird get to live? Because the first bird died. That's the only reason the second bird gets to live. I don't know if they did eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I don't know what they did, right? But the only reason that second bird gets to live is because that first bird was put to death. Again, family, this is a picture of our lives if we've come to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The only reason we get to live, the only reason we have eternal life, the only reason we have life in this life and in the next is because Christ died taking our place. That's the only reason the second bird gets to live. And the same is true for us. And I pray, I hope that we feel that, we sense that, we know that grief of what we deserve more and more. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, it says, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, 
we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Again, Paul here is encouraging his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 1, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's encouraging him to be a good soldier, to run his race, to fight hard. And the encouragement, the reminder to young Timothy is saying, hey, if you died with him, we're going to get to live with him. If we've died to ourselves, if we've died to our flesh, the promise we have is that when he's comes back, right, in the rapture and takes us home, we get to live with him eternally in heaven. That's the promise. The promise is, is if we endure, if we make it to the end, right, if we finish strong, we're going to reign with him also. What's the scary part here? What's the warning? If we deny him, he's going to deny us. If we're afraid to speak about him to others, he's not going to speak about us. But what's the hope at the end of this? When we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Again, always crying out to God. If we messed up, turn back to him. Romans chapter 6, we could quickly turn there. Romans 6, verse 5. Romans 6, verse 5 through 8. This was our Christmas theme this past year. Romans 6, verse 5 through 8. It says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives for, he lives to God. Likewise, you yourselves reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, family, friends, have you died with Christ? Are you dead to sins? Are you humbling yourself, picking up your cross daily? And following him, saying, I don't live that way anymore. That was the old guy. That guy don't live here anymore, right? He has no residence in my heart anymore. Now, Christ and the Holy Spirit, they are the ones who live in me. Galatians 2, 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, that's what Christ has done for us. We are to be dead to our lives, dead to our desires, and saying, Christ, I am living for you. From here out, Lord, I am living for you. That's the way we should be living. Back to Leviticus. It says, it was an earthen vessel over running water. If you remember, the law is clean, unclean. If you had the running water, right, that would be by a brook, by a creek, water that was not stopping. And if there's just something dead in it, it would say it wasn't unclean because of the water happening. It also said it about a giant cistern. If you found one dead thing in there, it wouldn't be unclean. And this is, again, speaking of the death of Christ. Even in his death, he was still clean. Even in his death, he was sinless. He just bore our sins upon him, but he was clean. He was perfect through it all. Then verse 6, what happens to the living bird? He takes it. He takes the cedar wood, the scarlet, the hyssop, and he dips them 
and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Cedar wood, it was resilient against diseases, but it's also a picture of the cross that our Lord and Savior was laid upon that tree. And we need to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. Some even think that the wood that they used for the cross was made out of cedar. Here it talks about hyssop. In Matthew 27 verse 48, many believe that the reed that was dipped in vinegar and brought up to the mouth of Christ was a reed of hyssop. We can turn to Psalm 51. And here in Psalm 51, David himself in asking the Lord to cleanse him from his sins. He's looking at himself as if he was a leper. He was looking at himself, seeing what it's cost him, seeing the agony inside of him as if he himself was a leper. And that's what sin does to us. Psalm 51, verse 7, there David, the psalmist, after sinning with Bathsheba, after living in the cover-up for about a year, it says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, verse 6, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create, that's out of nothing, Lord. Create out of nothing in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Again, this idea of the hyssop here. So they take these things, they dip it in the blood of the bird that died. The blood mixed with water. We know Jesus, when he died, they pierced his side. And what came pouring out? Blood and water. Verse 7, what does the priest do? He's going to sprinkle it seven times on the leper who's to be cleansed from the leprosy. And he's going to pronounce him clean. And then what does he take with that living bird? He takes him and he loose him, right? He throws him there out in the open field. What kind of a, a scene, what kind of a scenario was it for these men that their leprosy had cost them so much? As that sparrow flies away with the blood dripping off of it, fluttering away and the white continues to shine more and more. Again, what kind of a picture is that for us? The death that Christ had to die for us that we may live. Do you get blown away at that fact? Do you ever sit down and think about it and meditate on it and begin to weep saying, Lord, why would you look at a dead dog like me, Lord? I've done nothing to deserve this. Why in the world would you want to die for me and forgive me and put up with me, Lord? Again, the tears that must be running down the faces of these lepers. Or now once lepers, right? Used to be lepers. And that's who we should be. If we've truly come to Christ, we are now clean. Those unclean things are dead, gone, done away with. And there's only one way to be cleansed, right? It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, now he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes. He shaves off all his hair and washes himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. Making sure that it's actually true, right? That something doesn't pop up later on. Verse 9, but on the seventh day, he shall shave the hair of his head 
and his beard and his eyebrows, right? Looking like a cue ball, number eight there. And his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. What a picture of being born again. What a picture of being born again. All the old stuff this guy had was washed, clean, shaved away. Again, just two cents here. You don't have to do this, right? After every time you sin, you don't have to shave your whole body. That's not, that's not what we should be doing here. That's what God's called you to do. We'll pray for you. When we see you, we'll know what happened, and we'll pray for you anyways, right? You don't have to do this. If God's calling you to do that, that's great. That's awesome. But again, being cleansed, being brand new, looking like a baby all over again, no hair, bald, wrinkly, right? And that's how you look like when you're born again in the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 5, that's where we see this man, Naaman, cleansed of his leprosy. And he was a big deal in the government. He was a commander of the army of Syria. And the only way for him to be cleansed was to dip himself in a nasty river, right? In the Jordan River. If you've ever been to the actual Jordan River, you get there and it's as brown as brown can get. And there's flies everywhere. There's flies flying in your face everywhere and you got brown water, right? Brown water only brings one thing to mind, right? And you got this super brown water, right? And he says, why in the world would I dip there? His pride gets checked. And he says, I'm not willing to be cleansed. Elisha says, that's the only way you're going to get cleansed. He says, any other way. Show me any other way through hard work, through this, through another river. I'll do it. And he says, there's only one way for you to be cleansed. And once Naaman humbles himself and he steps into the Jordan River in faith and he was told by God through Elisha to dip himself seven times. Again, you have this man full of pride. He's a commander of the army of the king of Syria. And he has to dip himself in and dip himself out. This is gross. Dip himself in, dip himself out. This is disgusting. Dip himself in, dip himself out. This is ridiculous, right? But on the seventh time, he's cleansed. His pride had to come down. He had to humble himself in faith, be obedient to the messenger. And it's the same thing for our salvation. Have to humble yourself, come to him in faith, and be obedient to the Father. Be obedient to Jesus. All that to say, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 14, it says, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Again, a picture of salvation. We are born again. The picture of this leper who's been cleansed, shaving his whole body, and now he's been cleaned. He's been born again. In verse 10, back in Leviticus 14, it says, On the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephath of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean, and those things first before the Lord... At the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. Then the priest, he's going to take some of the blood of the trespass offering. The priest is going to put it on the tip of the right ear of the man who's been cleansed, on the right thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe on his right foot. Right? If you got the King James Version, on your great toe, right? That's what it's going to say there, right? Verse 15, and the priest shall take some of the log of oil, and he's going to pour it 
on the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest is going to dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and he's going to sprinkle some of the oil with his fingers seven times before the Lord, the number of completion. The rest of the oil in his hand, then the priest is going to put some on the tip of the right ear of him who's to be cleansed, on his right thumb, on the great toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head, right? The Holy Spirit coming upon him in a sense of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterwards he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Maybe you zoned out. Maybe some of you guys paid attention, right? But this whole ceremony, we've seen it before, a couple chapters before. Do you remember who else got a ceremony very similar to this? No? It's okay. That's why I'm here, right? That's what the Bible says, right? It was the priests. It was the priest. It was Aaron and his sons, and it would be the same deal. Their earlobe, their thumb, and their toe. And they would have the blood poured upon it. They'd have the oil poured upon it. And this same anointing was a very special anointing. And yet the leper is getting to partake in the same type of anointing as the high priest of Israel. There's only four people in the Old Testament that would get this type of anointing. The priest, a prophet, a king, and a leper. And again, each of us, we've been called to do great things for the Lord. We have been called to be set apart for the work of God, to tell other people what Christ has done for us. That's our role. We've been given the same anointing. We have the same blood upon us. We have the same Holy Spirit not only poured on us in what we hear and what we do and where we go, but then we have the Holy Spirit poured upon our heads, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Family, are we obeying that calling? Are we the priests within our homes? Are we standing up for righteousness? Are we going to serve and be the kings, right? The princes and princesses that God has called us to be in the next kingdom? Is that you right here and right now? Are you being that prophet for the Lord? Are you being that mouthpiece, that messenger? Is that who you are? Because that's what we've been called to do because of all that he's done for us. Are you grateful for what he's done for you? Are you grateful that he's cleansed you from those old habits Are you grateful that he's cleansed you from those things you were once so addicted to that you had no way out of? How do we show him gratitude? By bringing him glory. By drawing other people to the kingdom. By being that leper that even though he tells us, hey, don't tell anyone. You you just can't keep it inside. You have to tell other people about the Lord. Again, this was a special calling. This was a special anointing. And the same is true for us. Family, let's run in that calling. Let's run in that anointing. We were all once sinners healed by a miracle through the blood of Jesus Christ. Next portion of scripture, we don't have time to go through here. It's going to be the same exact ceremony, but for the poor leper. I would have to think every leper is that poor leper because they have to be separated away from their homes without working for months or years. But it's going to tell us if he's a poor leper, he can give a smaller grain offering and he can give a bird or two or one lamb instead of two. He can pay whatever he can afford. We're going to jump down to verse 32 and then keep going. It says, this is the law for one who had a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. Again, our bank account does not determine if we're closer to the Lord 
or more far away from him. That's not what it's about. He opens the door wide for every single person to come to him. Verse 33, now we get the law concerning the leprous house. Maybe you have a leprous house, right? Verse 33, 34 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there's some plague in the house. So what's going on here before we keep reading? This is not only leprosy, but this could be fungus. This could be black mold. This could be different situations like that. You find mold in your house and now you got to call people, got to demolish, got to clean, got to see what happens. That's what we're going to see here and then give the reasoning why. Verse 36, the priests are going to command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the plague that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. Afterwards, the priests are going to go in, they're going to examine the house. He's going to examine the plague. Indeed, if the plague is on the walls and it's engraved with streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, the priest is going to go out of the house to the door of the house, and he's going to shut up the house seven days. They're going to close up the house seven days and see what's going to happen with these reddish and greenish streaks in your walls, right? Verse 39, the priests are going to come again on the seventh day, and look, if the plague spread on the walls of the house, then the priest is going to command that they take away the stones, which is the plague. They're going to throw them out to an unclean place, outside of the city and he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around and the dust that they scrape off they need to pour it out in an unclean place outside the city then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones and he shall take the mortar and the plaster of the house Again, maybe you've been through this. You have to rip out the sheetrock. You got to see how bad the mold is. If it's worse, you got to keep ripping things out. And you got to wait and see what happens. Verse 43. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he's taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house and after it's been replastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an active leprosy in the house. It is unclean. He's going to break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside of the city into an unclean place. Maybe that's what your wife told you to do in the first place, right? Just got to burn this house down. Got to get rid of it. There's mold everywhere. We can't live here. Let's move somewhere else, right? That's what you do if it keeps spreading. Verse 46, moreover, he who goes into the house at all, while it is shut up, they're going to be unclean until evening. Got to stay away from everybody else. They need to quarantine themselves until evening. And he who lies down in the house, they need to wash their clothes. He who eats in the house, they need to wash their clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean. Because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. You guys know the deal. He's going to kill one of the birds in the earthen vessel running with water. He's going to take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird. He's going to dip them in the blood of the stained bird in the running water. Now they're going to sprinkle the house seven times. They're going to clean the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar, the hyssop, and the scarlet thread. Then they shall let the living bird loose outside of the city in the open field to make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprosore and scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, 
to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. What's going on here in five minutes, right? God promised the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt, as they were going through the wilderness, he promised them that he was going to give them homes, which they didn't work for. He promised he was going to give them vineyards, which they didn't plant. God was basically saying, I'm going to clear out the people and you're going to move into these houses and you're going to live in them. The problem is that they were moving into the homes of Canaanite people. And Canaanite people, they were pagans that committed atrocities in serving and following their gods. That's one of the reasons why God clears out that land anyways. right? Some people, they want to say God's a monster. Why is he killing all these people? It's, no, they were committing sin. They were killing their babies. And one of the things that Canaanite people would do to ask for blessing from God upon their house is as they were building their homes, they would kill their newborn babies and put them in the walls of the house. And sometimes if they really, really wanted to please their God, they would put their newborn baby still alive. And as the house was being built, they would lay that baby in the home and continue to close up the walls and mortar and leave it there to praise their gods. So again, what God is doing here is he's saying, you are not to live like the Canaanites. So again, you have a dead body inside of a house for months, for years. You're going to have mold. You're going to have different sicknesses. You're going to have different disgusting things growing there. So in a practical sense, if you have black mold in your house, you should probably deal with it, right? This is a very specific chapter for you to deal with something like that. In a greater sense, what is God calling every single one of us to do, especially the fathers here, the single moms here, the leaders of the homes? It's all in verse 57. We are being taught when something is unclean and when something is clean. And every believer here should be able to see what's on their television and say that's unclean or that's clean. Every believer here should be able to see what their kids are watching on the phone and say that's unclean or that's clean. The friends that are coming in the home, unclean or clean. That's what every believer is called to be able to do. That's what God is teaching us to do here. We need to be able to recognize when something's unclean and scrape it out of our house. Rip down the walls. Scrape it out. Get rid of it. Burn it outside and live for the Lord. We are called to be a kingdom of priests for the Lord. We're not called to be a kingdom of Canaanites. Or undercover Canaanites. That's not what we're called to do. So we as believers, we should be able to tell clean or unclean. And it's simple. We know it. The Holy Spirit tells us right away. Sometimes we try to rationalize it. We try to spiritualize it. But it's unclean or clean. Right? If you're here and you're a parent you got little ones running around, that's when it started convicting me big time. Oh, let me turn this off because my kids are awake. Wait a minute. Is this clean or unclean? If it's unclean for my three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, why in the world is it clean for me? I don't need it in my life. Let's close in Ezekiel 36. We could turn there real quick. So cool when you're just reading through your devos, reading through the Bible, and God links things up together as you're studying. He's going to do the same thing for you with your friends, your coworkers, your family. But again, we're all called to be able to say, hey, that's unclean. i got to get that out of our house. And again, as parents, maybe you've forgotten who's paying the rent, right? Maybe as parents, you, you've forgotten who's paying for the phone, who's paying for the internet, who's paying for the AC. There's no room for any kid here. You could blame me. It's okay, right? I'll take it. That's fine, right? Any kid to tell their parent, you can't see what's on my phone. You can't see what's on my iPad. You can't see what's on my computer. You don't have to know who I'm talking to or who I'm spending time with. The same is true for marriages. There shouldn't be any secrets between husband and wife. 
We're one. We're one body. The two, they become one flesh. I have no right unless you, maybe you're working, there's a few guys here, I'm not going to say who they are so I don't get in trouble, right? They work for the CIA, they work for the government, they can't give their wife all their secrets, right? But for the vast majority of us, we should be an open book. Honey, of course you can check my phone, of course you can check my internet, I have nothing to hide. We should have other people, right? Who is the person that was supposed to come in and examine the house? A priest from the outside, and the priest would come in and examine the house. We got to scrape this, got to tear that down, wait seven days, let's see what happens. And again, in our lives, if you're the priest of the home, you should be examining it. If it's a fungus out of your pay grade, right, and call in another priest, hey, what's going on here? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my home? Can you help me? Can you teach me so that I would be able to decipher what's unclean versus what's clean? Ezekiel chapter 36, we get this incredible promise in verse 25 for the nation of Israel, but it's a promise for us as well. You see, the nation of Israel... They could not keep God's laws. It was way too difficult for them. It was way too hard for them. But God gives them a great promise, and now we get to live in this promise today. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will, we see this word once again, cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And maybe that portion of scripture was for you. You're trying to do this all on your own and you keep falling. You keep failing in your own strength, in your own willpower. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get over this sin. I'm going to get over this difficulty. You got to humble yourself, come to the Lord in faith, and be obedient to the messenger. That's the only way we can be cleansed. But yet he promises us if we do this, he's going to cleanse us from all our filthiness. He's going to take our old heart of stone and he's going to put a new heart within us. He's going to give us a new spirit. He's going to put all his statutes within our hearts, within our lives, that we would be able to do them. And he's going to deliver us, in verse 29, from all our uncleanness. Again, family, may we be reminded of what Christ has done for us. 